Banen. Cut to. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. Action. Hello. Have a seat. Yes, you, whoever you are, get a seat at the table. You've always wanted a seat at the table. Well, guess what? Now, it's happening. Better than front row. Welcome to Restaurant Fiction, the podcast that is the intersection of all things food, film, TV, and most importantly, writing. We present you with a seat at the table with some of the most distinguished people in Hollywood to give you insight of not just why the restaurant, bar, and club is the most important element, but how to literally break bread with today's tastemakers. This might be a self-indulgent project because it also combines everything that I love. We're not going to teach you how to cook, but we will let you in on the secrets of why restaurants, bars, and clubs will now and forever be some of the most iconic locations in the visual works you love. Plus, we're going to make you hungry in the process. I'm Monis Rose, and I'm here because I want to learn from Mickey Fisher. Sure, He has keen insight on what it takes to create a network series like Extant or Reverie. But it's because of these two things a little more important to us of why he's here. Number one, he knows pizza. He knows how to make it. He knows the differences of styles. And of all the fictional restaurants out there, he created the best one ever which is his own writing office called Pies and Pins. Oh, and two, he knows how to have a successful meeting with one of the biggest film directors of all time, Steven Spielberg. Plus, he knows what kind of pizza he likes to eat. Okay, without any further ado, let's cut to our fireside chat with the one, the only, Mickey Fisher. Go. Guys, Restaurant Fiction, you know, we are creatives. We are screenwriters. We are chefs. We just are creatives. And as creatives, we need that creative spark. And we need to go searching for that creative spark. And sometimes, even us, we lose hope. And where do we go looking for hope? Do we go looking in Dodger Stadium? Well, I'm sure a lot of people right now do because the Dodgers just won the World Series. So congratulations to them. For us, we are not the biggest sportsmen, even though we do support the Dodgers right now. We go looking in a pizza parlor. That's right. We go looking in a pizza parlor called Pies and Pins. Now, let me describe uh, this pizza parlor to you. First of all, it's not about the water. Let, let, let's just uh, give that right to everyone. You know, for us at Restaurant Fiction, it doesn't matter if you're from New Hampshire, New York, Arizona. People have always said to us, it's about the water. No. When you grab a slice 
from pies and pins. You're going to experience three states. You're going to experience a little bit of Ohio, a little bit of New York, and a little bit of LA. Boom. So I don't know how the water gets from all the three states getting one slice, but that is the truth. There you go. And basically every single bite, you are going to get the essence of those three states. All right. Before you even walk into pies and pins, you hear good music. You hear a soundtrack. You hear the Minnesota man, Prince. That's right. The artist formerly known as Prince. You hear his whole collection. Plus, you even hear some new stuff. You hear an Appalachian uh, singer-songwriter uh, named Tyler Childs. And for those who are not, so you get a little bit of uh, the amazing pop, and you get a little bit of the bluegrass southern gothic rock, if you will. I, I mean, and then there's only one seat in the house. But if you are uh, privileged enough to get this singular seat, well, consider yourself lucky. It is an L-shaped booth, and pretty much how to describe it, it is a Gen Xers and Millennials childhood dream pizza parlor. Like, that's really, I mean, you have the red pepper flakes, you have the grated cheese, you have the paper napkins, you have those red plastic cups with the perfect concoction of Coke and carbonated water. All right, let's cut to the brass tacks. Let's get to the pizza. Let's get to the pizza that the pizza served it's more r&d style which in a way is a very good thing that means that every single pizza you're going to get is one of a kind with the nice slight little sprinkle of grande padano and a little drizzle of evoo and how restaurant fiction how we judge pizza Yes, we can say that the tomato sauce cuts the uh, mots and the, through the mots and the pepperoni uh, perfectly, which it does. That's fine. No argument here. But we judge by the dough, by the crust, by that leopard spotted texture, uh, the visualization. You see, we look for that. And what that means to us is that each bite, each bite of those bubbly burnt bits, and you know what I'm talking about, is going to be strictly unique. Now, the cheese, of course, it stretches all the way from L.A. to San Bernardino County, you know, which is a very, very good thing. But really, I'll tell you what, if you are lucky enough to get a seat at Pison Pinch, which, by the way, as of right now, is the hardest seat to come by in all of Los Angeles, and if you get a seat or not, and even if you do find hope or not, and let's just say on the negative side that you don't find hope, well, guess what? Go home and make yourself your own homemade pie because really, of all things, Pies and Pins uh, gives us hope to do that, which in a way inevitably causes that creative spark to flourish throughout us all over time. Mickey, that is our review, our little short fictional review of your fictional pizza parlor, Pies and Pins. Uh, what is your take on that? Give us your own review. I love it. I want to go to Pies and Pins. Uh, and luckily, I'm sitting in Pies and Pins right now talking to you. Uh, no, that's amazing. I want to frame that up and I want to put it right by the door, uh, you know, like a like a Zagat's uh, review when you walk into Musso's or someplace like that. It's fantastic. I will say, I think the reviewer, when they came in, one of the things they might have missed that the name Pies and Pins is a little bit of a misnomer because as of now, there's only one pin. There is a 1970s Space Odyssey pinball machine. But the eventual goal is to add more and more of those. I have a, a handful that are on my wish list. So ultimately, I'd like to get some more pins in here to go with the copious amount of pies. 
Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. This is not a question. Are you a pinball wizard, Mickey? You know, I'm trying. I got. I used to love pinball when I was a kid, and it went hand in hand with pizza. For like that was kind of like one of the things. I would ride my bike around the corner from my house. There was a place called Maze Donut Shop, and I would go over there and play pinball. And then when I was at my grandma's house, she lived down on the other end of town, and basically like across the street from her, there was a pizza shop called Weber's. And both places had arcades. They had game rooms and pinball machines. And so when I go to Weber's, it was just like you go, you play Donkey Kong and Pac-Man, and then they had a few pinball machines that I was obsessed with as a kid. Like one of them is it's still one of my dream machines to get called Xenon. And so pizza and pinball just always went hand in hand. And then a couple of years ago, uh, my girlfriend and I bought this new house and I had some space. I was going to create a, a garage. I'd been going to bar 82, which is downtown in LA. And they have a whole room full of pinball machines. And they have some of the retro machines, which I actually like more than the newer stuff. And I just started having this real desire to get one. And so when we got the place, I got a pinball machine and it is, I play it every single day. I play it probably 10, 15 20 games a day in between work and coming in, walking the dog. We bring the dog out here to the office and play with her. Out to pies and pins to play with her. And uh, while one of us is playing squirrels, the other one's playing pinball, that sort of thing. Oh, this is amazing. For me, it was the uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle pinball machine. There was that one. Uh, the Terminator oh, yeah. 2. Terminator 2 was a great pinball machine. I don't know if you remember that one. Um, Adam. 100%. Yeah. Uh, Adam's family. Oh man, can't like the Adams family. Even even uh, Hugh Hefner had a Playboy pinball machine. It was was when you're like an eight year old kid, you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that Adams sailing machine is one. I mean, that's sort of widely considered one of the most popular of all time. I think it was the most manufactured uh, pinball machine of all time. That's on the dream list too because it's such a great machine. It is. It is absolutely, absolutely. All right, so. Uh, so you got the ambiance, and you're right. And thank you for clearing the the pins up. What what are you ordering though at Pies and Pins? What is uh yeah? What is on your dream menu? Well, I'll tell you because I'm usually at, at Pies and Pins with my girlfriend, so we're ordering a couple of different pies. For me, my favorite is probably the house special, which is spicy supersada. It's got some pickled Fresno chilies from Little Dom's over in Los Feliz or Silver Lake, whatever neighborhood that's in. And then a drizzle of Mike's Hot Honey. And that's kind of what I like. I like it like there's a little spicy, a little sweet. For my girlfriend, she is a lot of cheese, a lot of pepperoni. That's her That's her thing. But my other favorite is straight-up margarita. I love a classic margarita with fresh mozzarella, some basil, a little EVOO, and a, a sprinkle of either the uh, – I mean, generally for me, it's Parmesan Reggiano. Uh, and then occasionally a little Grana Padano if I want to go go for a twist. So, yeah, that, that, those, are, those are generally like the three that are in heaviest rotation for me. Ooh, and I will say, I will agree with you to judge any uh, pizza parlor, always the margarita. Uh, for me, it is it is simple. For those who have never had a margarita, it is simple. It's just a really nice uh, mozzarella. It's just tomato. It's basil. I mean, maybe a little cracked pepper, maybe a little drizzle, but it is uh, beautiful. It is beautiful. Now, where does your honey style come from? Is that original you or is that New York? Because I know that Roberta's does a little bit of that honey drizzle. I think, you know, I've never been to Roberta's, but I think that's probably where I got the idea from looking at their menu. But for me, I think I started, I follow just a ton of people like pizza guys on and, and guys and girls on Instagram. And I started seeing Mike's Hot Honey pop up more and more. And I, I did a quick Google search. I found that it was carried at the Walmart over in Burbank. It was one of the final days before everything closed down. 
for like the quarantine. And I, I remember going to Walmart. All I was going for was a bottle of Mike's hot honey. It felt apocalyptic over there. Like people were stocking up on water and thing. And I was like, hey, it's not going to be that bad. I'm just going to get this honey. And it kind of slipped in and slipped out. And, and then was quickly wishing later that I had actually stocked up on some more practical things after the fact. But no, I love it. And then I just ordered, I found that they actually have like single serve packets of Mike's hot honey. So I ordered some of those now. So when somebody comes to pie some pins, actually, they don't have to take the whole bottle. They can take a little packet of their own. Excellent. Oh, that's so great. It's so great. Pizza is so big in film. Um, just to name a few, uh, you have Do the Right Thing. Uh, there's a big, huge, or Sal's Pizzeria there. Obviously, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I'm talking about the movies here, of course, the comics, and etc. but they're all about pizza. You got the Julia Roberts film, Mystic Pizza, and even Toy Story. The original Toy Story has a big pizza planet. You know, what is it about pizza and film that mesh so well? You know, it's interesting. I think pizza is just one of those foods that crosses all boundaries. I think that there, I, I think there are no boundary lines really for it. It's the kind of thing that when I think about how we had it as a kid. It was always connected to movie night, or it's like you're everybody's getting together to work on homework, or you're having a sleepover, and you're hanging out playing video games with all your friends. You know, for us, it was like every Friday night before a football game. It's the kind of thing. It's like everybody's volunteering for some big event that you're doing in your community and somebody shows up with like 20 or 30 pizza boxes. And so I think it's just such a common denominator in like universal human experience. It's a food that you can use to reveal character too. And, you know, in a way that I think is really interesting too, I just not to get political, but like there's an image of Donald Trump where he's in a suit eating a slice of sort of fold and go New York pizza with a knife and a fork. And that's a very distinct kind of character, right? As opposed to somebody who's just like walks out of the shop on the run, you know, like Tony Monero or somebody in Saturday Night Fever who's you know, knows like the fold and the flip and just like chowing down on the go. So I, I don't know, I think it's like, it's, to me, it is such a cinematic food. What I think is missing though are some great scenes of people making pizzas, you know, in movies, like real sequences of the love and the care, which I think it's something that you see all the time on Instagram and and YouTube. There's there are so many videos of these pizzaiolos who are putting so much love and care into the craft. And, you know, people like Tony Gimignani and all these cool people. And so, uh, so I think that hasn't really been captured yet. You know, it's like John Favreau when he made the Cuban sandwiches in Chef. Like I want to see the movie about that the pizza guy who's who's putting that much love and care into it. You write or at least the majority of your writing that uh, the world has seen has been uh, science fiction. We've not actually seen a pizza parlor or pizza in science fiction. What is the reason for this? Because it's very easy, say, to put a bar in science fiction, in the science fiction. It's, it's, even, um, it's almost as easy to put a restaurant, but not, not pizza. Are we going to see it? Why? Why not? Yeah. You know, I, I think it's like a failure of imagination or just like a failure of reality. I mean, pizza's been around for a long time. And so I think that there's no reason to think that 200 years from now, uh, it's not going to be around. Too. You know, we have this conversation a lot, like when we're talking about wardrobe and things like a uh, costume design in Exit. Exit was set like 30 years in the future. And so the question, like rea realistically, like men's clothes have looked the same for a long period of time. There's some pants, there are shirts. And so like, you don't want to go super far forward you know, like the movie her had those great high-waisted pants like that was a variation on it that really is a great little like world building detail where the style has just evolved enough um that it really gives you a distinct look but for the most part like men's clothes men's suits they haven't changed much in the last you know a couple hundred years in the general look and so 
I feel that way about pizza. Like it's going to be around a hundred years from now, 200 years from now. The question would be like how we make it, what are the ingredients, what are the toppings and stuff like that. So I, I think it's just a failure of imagination. I mean, people like me, I mean, I've made a couple of science fiction shows and I don't, I don't think I've really put like a good sci-fi pizza place in either of those things. So it's, it's on my list now though, especially now that I've become more obsessed about it. Ah, good call. Good call. Obviously you continually are, and you know, I, we consider you a professional at the craft of writing, but obviously you continuing to work on the craft of pizza making. What are, what are the differences and similarities of both crafts? You know, it's, it, it's interesting. One of the things I think is so awesome about making pizza and also so frustrating is it's very precise. And I think, you know, that you, for me, it's like the times I'm sort of just trying to wing it or try new stuff. Those are the, those are the times where it's like a failure. Cause even if you do everything right, even if it's like, I follow the egg recipe to a T, even if I'm, I'm, I'm watching the time and I'm, I'm conscious of like the, what's, what's happening. Little elements like the temperature or the humidity in the room can affect the dough. Or it's like something thrown off, like I take it out a little earlier or a little later the next day to make it. And that can mean the difference in it being good and good or bad. Or at least like easy to work with or hard to work with and, and more prone to like the disasters of, of sticking to the peel and that sort of thing. And so I think one of the things that's appealing to me about making pizza is it's, it is very precise and there's a science to it and there's like with the yeast and, and all that stuff. But then there is a creativity. Once you get to the point of like the toppings that you can try and this is like, I'm always looking for new things to try on top of it. And I think it relates to writing in the fact there are some foundational things. There are some fundamentals of writing that once you get them down, and then you can add your your voice to the top of it. That's when it starts to get really special. And I think the same thing is probably true for pizza. But making pizza, specifically the act of making the dough, is such a great independent activity for my brain that I find as I'm doing it, I'm having tons of ideas, creative ideas for my writing because my hands are occupied. My subconscious is free to roam. And it's all of a sudden, it's like working and churning away in the background, drawing these connections between things. So it is meditative in a way, but I think that also it's like generally by the time I'm done making dough, I'm ready to grab my notebook or my laptop and be like writing, you know, writing a handful of things down that I came up with while I was doing it. So they're, so they're, they're pretty closely interconnected right now. What kind of pizza are you making for Spielberg, for Steven, for Hallie, for Guillermo del Toro? Okay. Well, I mean, I got to say, starting off, it's got to be an Ohio pie, right? It's got to be Ohio style because Hallie's from Cleveland. Stephen was born in Cincinnati. I'm from Ironton. So right away, it's going to be an Ohio pie. I think there's going to be some some regular mots and there's going to be some fresh mots on there. There's going to be, for, for Guillermo, we're going to do some chorizo. We're going to put some, some of that on there. And we're going to do some peppers, some hot peppers. Before I serve it, though, I'm going to put it in a box, a delivery box. I'm going to take it outside. And I'm going to stomp on it like Elliot in E.T. So when I bring it back in and I open it up, the cheese is going to, yeah, the cheese is going to be stuck to the top of the lid. So now I'm going to throw that last little, that last little detail in for Mr. Spielberg. You know, this is uh, the first time we're ever meeting, but I not just like you, but respect you. Is You said that with confidence. It's like, yeah, Monis, this is how it's going to be. I don't care. Like, this is, ha- this is how it's done. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's the E.T. pie. We'll call it, yeah, we'll call it the Elliot or, yeah, something like that. It's like, there's, I mean, that's such a classic scene where all the kids are playing D&D and they send him out for, send him out for pizza and he freaks out. And uh, so, so yeah, I think that's, there's a story behind it. For all of uh, the future writers to have future meetings with Steven and his entourage, what are the successful, like, tips for having a successful meeting 
with Steven Spielberg himself? I think the coolest thing so far, and the thing I always just like, it was so heartening to see and so inspiring to see is that he's still just a person who loves really cool ideas and who gets excited talking about story and beats and moments and, and, and other movies and things like that. And to see somebody who's been at it for this long, who still has that love for it and that passion for it, because I've definitely come across people who are still working in this business who seem like they don't enjoy it all that much anymore, or that it's not, as fun as it as you know, speed. Which, which by the way, like he's had an amazing career, so it's probably is it's probably is easy to enjoy it when you've had that that long string of successes. But the fact is, like when you're talking about things and you're breaking story, uh, that he's a person who still gets excited about the what if, and I think that's awesome. And I think the the pitfall is, and I've t- I've shared this with a few writers, and I think there have been a couple times where I felt like. Early on, when I was having meetings with people, whether it was with him or was it like when we were at the showrunner and the producers, or if we were on a notes call with the network or something, was this feeling that that people expected me to be able to have answer all the questions or the problems or solve problems sort of like immediately on the fly? And I would have this, it was just insecurity. It was like not being secure enough to go, that's a really great question. I haven't actually thought about it yet, but let me do some thinking and I'll come back to you on it. <laughs> just have, have the courage to say, I don't know yet. What do you think? You know, like that is, and so there was a part of me that felt like uh, I should know this and I should. And so the times that I tried to answer or tried to riff and just sort of like figure on the fly, the times that I like fell, that crashed and burned, I I still have like visceral physical reactions, remembering those moments because it can get really uncomfortable where you feel like you're talking like, and then in your brain, you're like, I'm not making any sense right now. This is, I can see on their faces that this is going very badly. And so I had to learn over like the first year or so. It's okay to just say, I don't know yet. Let me figure that out with the writers. Where can people find you, Mickey? At Mickey Fisher 73 on Twitter. I think you know, there might be a link to my to website. And I think probably the same on Instagram. I think it's at Mickey Fisher 73 But uh, yeah, I'm out and about on the social media. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much. And I really appreciate you. And thank you for being on the Restaurant Fiction Podcast. Mickey, thank you. You didn't have to tell us about the E.T. pie, but you did or what kind of pizza Halle Berry or Guillermo del Toro would like. But you did that too. Don't worry, guys. Before we have Mickey back on the podcast in early 2021, get to know him a little bit better by checking out his work. IMDB says he created the Halle Berry show Extant, also the NBC series Reverie. Oh, and he's written on the shows The Strain and Mars. And of course, download his audio fiction experience, Odessa. And finally, like he said, follow him on Twitter at MickeyFisher73. I'm Monis Rose. I'm going to watch a good film, create some amazing fucking food, and then write a scene in one of the best fictional restaurants ever created. Until next time, peace. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day.